Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, uh, and I've got with me a phenomenal guest today, Dr. Jamie Dyson. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on today. We're going to talk about something on everybody's mind, and that's uh, the student loan debt crisis. Um, but first off, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and your academic journey and how it's kind of led you to where you're at today. Thanks, Scott, and uh, thank you for having me on today. Um, my journey started, I've been a PT for just over 30 years. Um, I graduated from Northeastern University in Boston and um, moved down to Florida in 1992 and have been practicing primarily in the acute care setting uh, with a specialization in critical care, polytrauma, and burns. And for the past 20 years or so, I've also been involved in um, education as an adjunct instructor. Um, I also teach a lot of um, continuing education courses on, um, on critical care, physical therapy, acute care, physical therapy, as well as uh, clinical education models. Um, I actually um, helped write a couple of chapters in a clinical education textbook, and I've written a few chapters in cardiopulmonary physical therapy um, textbooks. I've also been a part of um, helping to author the, um, the resource for, for vital signs for the Academy of Acute Care and the Academy of Cardiopulmonary and Vascular Physical Therapy, as well as the lab value resource for the Academy of Acute Care Physical Therapy. But student debt is, is a huge deal and i happy to answer any questions I can. Um, yeah, I mean, for, you've for done audience. it all. You have literally done it all, my friend. Uh, and that's why I love having people like you on because uh, I, I learn, you know, I learn along the way and I hope our audience does as well. Uh, but let's start with uh, the very basics here, right? Let's, okay. let's just start with student loans in general, right? Overall, a lot of people that go to college take out student loans, right? Some may not, but most, most people do. Then as you go to grad school, it seems to become an even more pressing need, right? Because now you're seeking further education and may need more, more money, right? And more student loans. How do you think overall we're doing as just a society in educating our young people as far as high school, even as far back as high school on, on what student loans are and how they work and you know, whether or not they should take them and what their impact may be? Yeah, I think there's been a big change in culture as far as the use of student loans from when I was a PT, when I was a student, um, when I did my undergrad degree, um, it was normal and I probably 80% and only in my class were also working aside from going to um, school. And I, I did a bachelorette in physical therapy initially, so I was in PT school and during my um, bachelor's education but probably 80% of the class was working in some way, shape or form. Um, and I was actually working up to 40 hours a week aside from going to um, PT school. So yes, I did take out some student loans, but the amount that I ended up having to take out was, wasn't as much, it wasn't nearly as much as what I'm hearing folks are graduating with just from their, from their bachelor's degree, forget about grad school at this point. 
And um, that helped me immensely. So once I graduated and started working, I didn't have this overwhelming debt. Um, and I was, you know, I had come to living with this lifestyle of sharing a room and Roman noodles and everything you did as a college student to save money. And, you know, I didn't immediately change that lifestyle. Of course, you know, as, as my career progressed, um, you know, I went from Roman noodles to, you know, something a little bit better to eat and, you know, you know, bigger houses and, and bigger cars and, and, and so forth. But it came gradually. I think the mindset is, okay, I've graduated. I want it all immediately. And you kind of have to, to flex into that. You have to slowly move into this because you do have this overwhelming debt. And unfortunately, I'm seeing graduates now that, that can't afford to buy a house and, and they're putting off having children. They're putting off, you know, these lifestyle, these family choices because of this overwhelming student debt that they've gotten for themselves. And, you know, it, it, I'm so, it's, it's heartbreaking to see it because um, we were in such a different position when, uh, when, well, when I graduated and um, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see um, the amount of debt that students are graduating with. Yeah, I was kind of in that in-between phase between bachelor's and doctorate. I graduated when it was a master's program um, but I was offered the transitional doctorate my first year after I graduated if I stayed around uh, at ECU for another year, uh, which I did, but then I didn't finish it. Life kind of got in the way, and then I had to eventually end up finishing my transitional doctorate through University of St. Augustine. So, And then I ended up getting my EDD through St. Augustine as well. Mm -hmm. So my, my story, and I, I'm open and honest about it, I ended up with a private school for undergrad at Wake Forest, right, which was pretty pricey. Uh, my parents helped out a good amount, but I still had to take out loans. Then a state school for PT school as a master's, and I did work throughout that time, which was pretty good because I was able to pretty much pay off all of my master's degree while I was working in, in school. Uh, but then the transitional doctorate in EDD, I had to take more loans out again, because again, another private university, and it was, you know, just didn't line up. I was working full time while I went for my EDD, actually, and my D transitional DPT. But, uh, you know, I, I was just taking little classes here and there one at a time. So it wasn't as big of a deal. But I ended up graduating with $140,000 worth of student loan debt, and two doctoral degrees, a master's degree and a bachelor's degree. So not bad, not great. Not bad, right? no. But we look at today's students and it is like crippling amounts. I'm hearing students come out at 100,000, 150,000, 200,000. I've even seen as high as 250 to $275,000 worth of student loan debt to come out with a doctor in physical therapy, right? A doctorate in physical therapy. Now we have the bigger question and, and it's really starting to, to turn some heads and, and shake things up a little is physical therapy still a worthy profession if you're graduating with that high amount of student loan debt? Yeah, I absolutely believe that physical therapy is a worthwhile profession. The problem with us is um, we, we need to get better organized. Okay, you look at other doctoring professions, such as a medical doctor, they come out with similar loan debt, but because of the reimbursement, for what they do and what they provide, they're able to offset those, those high student loans because their salaries are gonna be at a higher level. Um, unfortunately, physical therapy isn't there yet. We have a lot of work to do. Reimbursement isn't what it should be. You know, if you look at, you know, there's really two sides to this equation. There's, there's this cost to become a physical therapist and then the reimbursement, and it's kind of on a scale. And right now the scales are leaning heavily towards the cost to become a physical therapist versus 
the uh, reimbursement. You know, on, so to, to balance the scales, we either need to decrease the costs of becoming a physical therapist or increase the revenue um, that folks can achieve once they graduate. You know, with schools, you know, if they have a cohort of 40 students and they're having 900 applicants for those 40 seats, it's going to be very hard to convince an academic institution to decrease the cost. And I really don't think that's a formidable strategy to, um, to deal with this. Um, yes, some education to the students to not take out as much student loans. Is there ways around taking out as much? Yes, they're going to need the student loans. But can they avoid, you know, these astronomical amounts and, um, you know, just getting some simple information. So what's the cost of living for the city I'm going to be living in when I attend PT school? You may get into two different PT schools, that, you know, both CAPT accredited, both probably about the same cost of tuition. But if the cost of living in one city is way more than the cost of living in a second city, well, you may want to take a look at that, that other city that may not have that heavy cost of living. So in the long run, that's going to decrease the amount of loans you're going to have to take out just for your, for your, you know, your everyday living expenses. Um, but on the other side, as a profession, we still have this huge variance in what it is that we do, these huge variance in how we treat even similar diagnoses. So because of that, you know, our reimbursement just is not there and it doesn't match our education. We need to focus on our on being uh, primary care providers and getting reimbursed at that level, same as a physician, same as a nurse practitioner, um, where you can start to see this offset in um, the, the cost to become versus the cost to be. Um, the, the, the reimbursement um, we can receive when we, we do graduate from these programs. And that's going to take all hands on deck. Um, I was just up in D.C. with APTA, and we were advocating for um, to reducing some of the Medicare cuts that are coming down the pike in 2023. Yeah. And again, we're already not getting reimbursed enough, and now they want to cut it even more. Right. Never and ends. The, uh, you know, there was about 100 of us there, um, but there are, you know, there's 100,000 APTA members, and I don't even know how many PTs there are across the country. You know, so we have less than 1% of the, of, the, of the profession, you know, advocating for what every single licensed physical therapist should be advocating for uh, with their legislators. And we have to start with the big dog. The big dog is, dog is Medicare. If we can get Medicare to reimburse at higher rates, then we can start to work at the smaller and the local um, insurance providers to reimburse um, at higher levels as well. And in the long run, we have to show them that we decrease their costs. Yes, you may be reimbursing us more, but in the long run, you're going to be saving money because your patients won't be falling and in, in, in breaking a leg, or they won't be disabled because of their back pain, or they'll be able to participate in, in society and not, you know, be a burden on their film, et cetera. You know, we, we all know what PT does. I don't have to go through that laundry list, but we have to show these insurance providers that what it is that we do will save them money in the long run. Everything from, you know, in hospital care, we're decreasing hospital length of stay, we're decreasing re um, readmissions to the hospital. On the um, inpatient rehab side, we're getting patients back to society, back working again. Same thing with outpatient. We're getting folks, you know, back into the workforce, back to providing 
to their to their families and even in the geriatric population we're preventing falls we're preventing other um, comorbidities from taking over and requiring more hospital care or more care which is going to cost the providers even more money so we need all hands on deck yeah you brought up a lot of really good points there i mean you know we start with the debt to income ratio right if you're graduating school you know with $150,000 worth of student loan debt and you're making as a new grad $100,000 that's a really good salary right out of the gate but when you look at the ratio it's not great mm -hmm. and i promise you not every new grad is making 100,000 right out of the gate it's very yeah. setting dependent very city dependent um you know there's a whole lot of uh, variables that go into that as well uh, but yeah, I mean, I personally have not seen the reimbursement levels go up in my 15 years, 16 years as a, as a clinician. I, I would love to, to see it make that trend and turn around. But like you said, it's going to take all hands on deck to, to get that moving in the right direction. And if we can get Medicare on board, then again, like you said, all the other insurance follow suit, you know, hopefully. Um, but but I think there's 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 a couple of, of interesting aspects that are happening nowadays too because of all this, uh, some good, some bad, you know. And one of them I think is is the issue of transparency, right? There's transparency in the hospital systems and and have you know having to show everybody what it costs for procedures and things, right? There's like the No Surprises Act where people are having to see what their medical costs are going to be, so they're not slapped with some ridiculous bill at the end, right? Then there's also this push for now schools and universities to show what it costs to become a, a PT, right? To make it, play, you know, a fair playing ground for everybody to see what's going on, you know, and, and, and truth be told, I think a lot of employers are even being a little more open to as well as employees about salaries and about what they're making in, in certain areas and certain settings. I think it's be just becoming a, a more transparent world because it kind of has to be. You know, would you absolutely. agree with that? I absolutely agree. And, you know, there there's works in the pro in the progress or in the process of, you know, each uh, CAPTI accredited program being transparent with their costs. And it's not just the cost of tuition. They're going to have to share costs on, you know, what is an average apartment rental in the area? And, you know, what are the taxes like in this particular part of the country? And because those are going to vary, you know, from state to state, from city to city. Um, we all know the cost of living is very different depending on where you live. And I think that plays a huge role in, um, you know, the amount of loans that students are going to have to take out because they have to eat, they have to live somewhere. And um, so that's all going to be rolled into that overall um, debt to, uh, ratio uh, when they do graduate. So I think that's going to be super important and let the consumer decide if they're willing to, okay, I'm going to have to take out this much, um, you know, loans. And, you know, by with that transparency saying the average student takes out $130,000 in loans, the student will then know, okay, I'm going to need to take out $130,000 in loans. Do I really want to do that? Or do I want to go to this other PT program where the average is $80,000 in loans? You know, to me, it would be a no brainer. I would go to obviously to the, the lower cost, but that's how my mind thinks. Others may not think that way. But, um, you know, when I was going through school, I was always trying to to save a buck. I always bought the used books. I always bought, you know, you know, did everything I can to save. I had, you know, I was in the two bedroom apartment with three other roommates. You know, there was two of us in each bedroom with one bathroom. And, you know, that's how we had to live. I was in Boston. It was, you know, pretty expensive to have an apartment there. 
So that's, you know, what we had to do to um, live and survive and get our degree, knowing that after we got that degree, you know, life would be better. And unfortunately, now for a lot of graduates, they're still living in that college apartment that they, they had when they were in school and they're staying there because they can't really afford due to those um, overwhelming debts to, to, to purchase a, a place or, or get a better um, rental. Yeah, I think, you know, the unfortunate thing of that that we kind of alluded to earlier is that it is affecting life decisions like purchasing a house, like starting a family, like purchasing a car, right? Big decisions that should be, you know, relatively easy when it comes to like, I have a career and I'm making money to like, well, no, I think I got to put that off still because my student loans are so astronomically high. I can't afford to do that yet, you know? Uh, and it almost doesn't seem fair when you have somebody with a, a doctoral degree in a career working and, and yet, you know, their credit scores may not be higher. The amount of money that they make, make to what they owe isn't lining up right to then go in and purchase a house, you know, and it's like, well, that's yeah. one of the next steps of life. That's one of the next phases of life. And if they want to do that, they've got a career. They should be able to, you know, afford a mortgage. And unfortunately, nowadays, it's it's a lot tougher to do. You know, so the time period alone from when you and I went to school to where we're at now is like night and day. It's not even the same language, you know. Absolutely. And unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of newer graduates are taking on that second job, that moonlighting job to make up for this. So they're working 60 hours or more hours per week. So they're not getting that that quality of life that, again, when they went into PT school thinking, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to help people and I'm I'm going to have a great life. And well, now I'm working 60 hours a week, you know, and with all those extra hours comes the burnout. We're seeing a lot of burnout in folks, people five years into their careers are burning out because they're having to work so much to cover, you know, that overwhelming stress of this overwhelming debt that they're graduating with. Um, the bubble's got to burst at some point. We need to, um, we definitely need to start working um, on this and, and, you know, educating. I think it all starts first off with educating students as they enter PT school. And it's or even before that, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or even sure. before that on smart fiscal management and, um, you know, so that they can manage their, their, their funding as they go through um, both undergrad and, and grad school yeah. um, so that they aren't graduating with this overwhelming debt. We're not going to be able to change the tuition costs. I don't see that happening. Reimbursement. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to work on things, but we also have to, let's not get into as much debt in the first place. Start that education earlier. Yes, maybe you should work while you're in that undergraduate degree and, you know, decrease your, your, your debt loan amount. And so when you do go to grad school, you may not have that 50 to $60,000 in debt from their undergraduate degree that a lot of folks have. Then tapping on top of that, their graduate loans, um, and that's where you're getting into these $200,000 combined loan debt, uh, which is just crippling uh, our next generation of physical therapists. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had a, a guest on uh, a couple months ago who had done what I wish I had done in, in hindsight and I'm preaching to my kids and I hope that they'll listen, right? I feel like when I was in school, I worked really hard in high school. Uh, to get the best grades I could to, you know, excel, to try to get into the best college that I could, to then try to get the best job that I could. You know, I, I, I don't feel like I was sold the lie, per se, on college. It, it, it really was a little bit of, of misleading, if you look at it that way. But 
I, I did. I, I, you know, I, I w applied to a bunch of great schools. I only got into Wake Forest. So that was where I ended up going. I could have easily stayed in SUNY, you know, it's uh, and the State University of New York schools. I didn't want to. It was cold. The winters were brutal. Prices were high. I wanted out. I wanted to go south. So I did. But in hindsight, what I wish I had done and what this guest had done uh, as well was community college for two years state school for two years to finish my undergrad and then probably state school for grad school however at that point i probably could have afforded any grad program because i would have saved so much by going to community college and state schools so i wish i had done that i'm preaching to my kids i hope they'll listen i don't know yeah and you know back in when pt was a bachelorette degree uh, we went i mean i was a senior in high school then i was a first year dpt uh, not a first year pt not a dpt student but a first year pt student and um man talk about culture shock you know that that senior year of high school is pretty easy <laughs> and then you go into that first year where they open yeah. the fire hose and uh but um and, and you kind of learn from your mistakes, but in high school, I had always worked and I always been taught to save money. And so I save money and I save money. And when I went on to, to college, I continued that, that process of saving as much as I could and you not using credit cards and not taking out student loans. And it wasn't until my senior year of undergrad that I actually ended up having to take out a a small student loan just to cover that last semester of tuition. Yeah. And uh, I was able to pay that off after the first year of working. And um, then, I mean, I got my DPT about 25 years later. So I didn't have to, you know, think about any student debt when I, when I did that, but you know, times have changed for sure. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's turn things around a little here. It's not all doom and gloom, right? I, I, I preach that, right? If we look at the profession, it's a great profession. I still believe in it. I think, you know, I got into it to help people. I've helped a lot of people. I want to help more people. However, I think it's a, a, a great profession if you leverage it appropriately, you know, and what I mean by that is there's so many opportunities to physical therapists based on our skill sets, our knowledge base, you know, our knowledge of the human body and the musculoskeletal system. Uh, you know, our, our organizational skills, our prioritization skills, all these things that we learned throughout grad school have made us into a pretty powerful weapon that we can use to, to just go into any situation and scenario and, and make an impact, you know? Yeah. So I think if we make aware, I mean, again, right, I, one of my professors from, from uh, back in the day is, is the head of research and development at Nike now. He's a physical therapist, but he's doing head research and development. I have another buddy of mine who is uh, big into the tech world. He's a physical therapist, but he's helping with wearables. Uh, and he's kind of working on falls and, and stuff like that and research with falls uh, for garments and for Apple watches and for all that to help make those things better. Um, you know, there are other opportunities out there than just your typical nine to five clock in, clock out clinician. And I've been preaching this for a while now. We could do whatever we want. We could make physical therapy whatever we want, which again, like you said earlier, is kind of a good thing and a bad thing because there is so many variables. But because there's so many variables, we also have so many opportunities, you know? So we can use our knowledge and skill set to help people and have a bigger impact by writing, you know, starting a blog, doing a podcast, uh, going into the, the private sector and doing tech world stuff, you know, going out and, and teaching, right, educating, we can go into, you know, academia, uh, it doesn't just have to be in physical therapy, I've seen a lot of PTs teaching in other areas too, especially at undergrad, you know, since they have the doctoral degree, so there's so many opportunities out there, 
we just need to be open and aware about them. You know, we need to know that they exist. And I think that's one of the ways that we can start, you know, pushing the needle in our favor and making a little bit more money and not having to take those, those PRN jobs and the, the moonlighting jobs. But what are some other opportunities that you see that could maybe help sway things our way? Oh, man, the opportunities are endless. You know, when I graduated from PT school, the Internet didn't exist. So <laughs> the, the opportunities just with technology these days is just endless. You know, a podcast such as this, I mean, this is something, you know, 15 years ago didn't exist. And this type of opportunity didn't exist for a physical therapist. And all of the online, um, you know, online meetings and the ability to meet with folks across the country um, face to face is just is just amazing and the opportunities for web-based visits for physical therapists is growing and telehealth is growing so those opportunities are going to continue to grow but we have to make sure that we're being our best advocates for this anyone who sits back passively and expects it to just kind of fall in their lap it is you know they need to get involved they need to be engaged in the profession so that they can be on that leading edge in, in um, you know, taking on some of these newer roles, you know, it, it's, we need those pioneers to do these types of things and show, okay, I can do it. So somebody else can do it. And, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to have even more opportunities, but we have to show our worth to those that are, that are paying for it, whether it be the insurance providers or the consumer in general. And, you know, that's another opportunity is just consumer education on physical therapy, because it's not out there. Even, you know, 30 years after being a physical therapist, I was at a neighborhood um, block party and somebody asked me what I did. I said I was a physical therapist. Says, oh, you'd give massages all day. I'm like, I haven't given a massage since (laughs) since I was in PT school. So so the the community at large just does not know what it is that we can do and what we can do for them. And after a 15 minute conversation with this guy, he was actually going to make an appointment to see a physical therapist because he had some back pain. I said, you don't want to see me. I'm an ICU guy, but yeah. I know somebody that, that can really help you with this. And I, yeah. you know, I, I set him up and he's now going to see um, that physical therapist. So even if it's not something that we can promote ourselves, we can promote our profession. Yeah. I think if, you know, all physical therapists help promote the profession of physical therapy, man, we're going to be in great shape. You know, we're only going to get reimbursed as a profession based on the outcomes of us all. All right. We can't have a few of us that are having great outcomes. It's not going to change the reimbursement as a as a profession. We need to all step forward together. You know, as they say, from womb to tomb, from ICU to outpatient, we all have to you know show that our game is on point and that we're progressing patients, you know, through life and through the continuum of care. Um, there's opportunities for us in um, self-pay um, for, for various types of services. And a lot of, there's a lot of pioneers that have um, had great success in not, just eliminating the insurance providers and, and providing um, um, self-pay uh, physical therapy services. And they're, they're doing very, very well with it. And their patients are very happy and, you know, they're getting word, in, word of mouth referrals. Um, and the internet has done huge things um, for us. Just, you know, people can find, you can find anything on the internet. And I think a lot more people are um, searching the internet for, oh, my back hurts or my knee hurts or, or whatever the case may be. But we need to make sure when they do those searches that they're getting led to, to good answers and, and, and not bad answers. So we have to be involved with technology to be sure that, you know, when a consumer 
you know, does a Google search for, um, for knee pain, that they're not getting bad advice about physical therapy, they're getting good advice. And, you know, it takes experts to be able to do that, that are monitoring the net and making sure that their uh, folks are getting pushed in the right direction. Yeah. So you brought up a lot of good points there. I want to just touch on real quick. One, advocacy, right? Got to advocate for yourself. Got to advocate for your patients. Got to advocate for your profession. I mean, that's, you know, one of the ways that we're going to get our, our seat at the table, so to speak, and our opportunities to, to do these things that are out there, right? Two, uh, you know, when it comes to insurance companies and reimbursement, let's go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation where you're saying, you know, hey, we're going to save you guys a lot of money if you let us do our thing. Like, you know, yeah, you're paying us now up front a good amount, but in the back end, these patients aren't going to stay in the hospital longer. They're not going to have falls and break hips. They're not going to pass away. We're going to have better outcomes, right? The problem is it's so hard to show what you did caused an effect that didn't happen. You know, we're having to show what we do prevents stuff from happening, right? So again, we just kind of have to start looking at like, all right, what were the numbers before physical therapy was instituted? And after they did that, you know, did the numbers improve, you know, so that's a tough one. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for research, and we need that research. We need that evidence to show what it is. It's one thing to go and yeah, we'll make things better. But if I have, you know, 10, 15 different evidence-based articles that show, all right, this reduced falls by by 56% in this group of, um, you know, older live, oh, older, um, older adults living in a social community, um, that, that, that's a huge impact. And that's what's going to, you know, put the mustard on the hot dog, so to say, um, to to help us move forward with this reimbursement. Just going in and said we make things better isn't going to isn't going to help or, you know, we're in the same, you know, we're in the same path as a lot of other healthcare providers. We got to come a step above all these other providers that are saying, yeah, we make things better. The massage therapists, the acupuncturists who don't have this huge amount of debt but are preaching the kind of the same message that we are. We got to show, all right, we're better. And here's why. And here's the evidence that shows that. Yeah. And one, one final thing I want to touch on too, that you talked about is a lot of this, uh, what, what we call SEO, right. Or search engine optimization, getting you a physical therapy or a physical therapist to be the answer to, or the solution to people typing in, how do I fix back pain? Who do I go to get back pain taken care of? You know, whatever it may be. That, that is going to take a lot of, of digital marketing. And just now in the last five years or so, I'm seeing more students and physical therapists and, you know, PT students getting involved in digital marketing and learning this stuff and learning how to market themselves, learning how to market other businesses, learning how to market clinics, which then helps with SEO, right? And search engine optimization, yep. optimization making sure we're, that your clinic is coming up for your area so people can find you, right? Like you said, that's super important, but it's not something we teach in school. It's not something we learn no. about. It's just the nature of the beast of nowadays. That's how you have to get seen is the internet, is technology. So yeah. got to be up on it. You got to have your finger on the pulse. And, and you can even make a business out of that. I've known several DPT students that paid their way through school based on having a digital marketing agency where they were able to get clinics, new leads and new patients coming in the door and they graduate debt-free because of all the hard work they did in marketing and their free time, you know? So again, another opportunity, right? Yeah. Just, again, uh, the, the opportunities are endless. And the other thing you have to think about is 
these other professions that are trying to get the same piece of the pie that we're shooting after. So if you did a search, say for, for back pain, not only are they gonna get physical therapy, but they're probably also gonna get you know acupuncturists and chiropractors. And so we also have to show what separates us from these other professions. You know, and I, I kind of, <laughs> I use the joke of that, the old show, Name That Tune. You know, I can fix your back in six visits. Well, I can fix your back in five visits. And then they'll finally say, well, fix that back. Um, but we have to show <laughs> that um, we can we can do it um, more efficiently and more effectively. It's all about efficiency and efficacy when it comes to PT practice. And that's the message we have to show. You don't have to go back to, yeah, I've been seeing my chiropractor for years. Well, you hear that a lot because, well, yeah, they have to go see their chiropractor for years because that's kind of the nature of the beast. But, you know, if we can get, you know, five weeks of visits for a, for a low back pain and they're good to go and not have to come back, that's what's going to, you know, put the proof in the pudding for these insurance providers and have them start reimbursing us at similar or higher levels than some of these other providers that they're already reimbursing for. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I've really enjoyed this discussion, man. I, 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 again, this is a passion of mine. This is something I've been trying to address for years. I think our profession needs it. So any guests we can have come on and any talks we can have about the student loan crisis. And, you know, again, you see a lot in the news nowadays about the government and student loan forgiveness and all that. I'm not going to hold my breath for that. And you shouldn't either. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, for our, our audience, like, you know, just take ownership of it and figure out your own path and your own way to get it done. Because if the government figures it out, great, good for them, we, we win. But I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. So if, if I could task you with, with one, one final approach here, what's, what's like one big takeaway or, or one big message you'd like to give people with regards to, you know, student loan debt and, and you know, how, how to handle it and what are some ideas, like what's the one big thing you'd like to, to put to our audience? You know, we have to handle it just like we handle patient treatment. You can't passively sit back and hope that it's going to go away and hope that it's going to solve itself. You need to move to that active range of motion. You need to move to those active exercises, which we all know are going to help improve movement. So if we're going to improve this profession, we need to get active. We need to stop, get off the chair and start getting involved and engaged. And as a group, move the profession forward so that we are getting reimbursed for the services we provide. And we're practicing to the full extent of our license and the full extent of our education. Because a lot of parts across the country, therapists, they, they paid for this education, but they can't even do everything that they were educated on. So we need to you know advocate for that as well. We need to be able to practice with the complete autonomy. That's what we're taught to how to practice, but we still don't have unrestricted direct access across the country. We still aren't seen as primary care providers across the country, and we're certainly not getting reimbursed at that. So for all the therapists out there listening, get, you know, wait till the podcast is over, then get out of your chair and get involved, get engaged, and let's all move forward together. It's the only way we're going to come out of this hole. Yeah, I love that, man. Rising tide raises all ships, right? Let's yeah. let's all kind of 
lift each other up and just figure out ways to get behind it and advocate, you know, and there's more than just one way to advocate. It's not just, you know, about putting on the suit and tie and shaking hands and kissing babies up there in DC. You know, there's a ton of different ways to get involved and support your profession. So mm-hmm. hopefully this will, uh, you know, inspire people to, to get involved in whatever way they feel that they can help out, you know, whatever their strength is. Uh, you know, I love that idea of practicing at the top of your license, you know, and, and practicing, uh, you know, within your zone of genius. That's something I've been leaning into a lot too lately is use your strengths, you know, whatever you're good at. If you're, you know, good at speaking and talking, go, you know, give speeches, go, you know, start a podcast. If you're good at, you know, making funny films and videos, well then, all right, TikTok and YouTube are for you. You know, if you're good at writing, well, Hey, start a blog, write a book, get out there, get the word, spread the word, do what you can to help out. Uh, to make this great profession even better, you know? So I love that, man. I appreciate Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have one final question that we ask all of our guests. And that final question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? How would you change it and why? I think, you know, the, the biggest obstacle to education is the availability of a diverse group of students. You know, as physical therapists, we treat a diverse population. We treat people from all different backgrounds. Um, we don't have that same diversity in the profession. It's gotten a lot better. Don't get me wrong. Things have improved. But we need to figure out a way to have avenues for folks coming from diverse backgrounds, from, you know, underserved areas and uh, minorities and, and, and all that to be able to, you know, become a physical therapist. You know, as we said, the student debt is, is huge. Um, but if we can kind of decrease those obstacles to allow for a diverse population of professionals, I think it's only going to serve the public better. Um, they may seek out physical therapy care more often because they're, you know, they're, they're seeing folks that look like them when they're or, or act like them or, or have the same beliefs and the same backgrounds uh, when they go seek this care. Um, so I think, you know, if I could, you know, if I had that magic wand and wave it, I think, you know, decreasing the amount of barriers to, um, to allow for a more diverse um, profession uh, would be the big thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're seeing more and more now how important diversity and inclusion is, especially from a patient standpoint, right? Absolutely. You know, they like they they like the fact that there's, you know, a wide diversity and that they're seeing a therapist that's, you know, from an area that they may be from and can relate to them, you know, and it's 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 just it's so much easier for patients to, to kind of let their guard down and buy into that uh, patient alliance, that therapeutic alliance, mm-hmm. uh, when they know, like, and trust their, their therapist or their healthcare provider, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's, it's so much easier to know, like, and trust your healthcare provider when you know you have some commonalities and some things. So, uh, you know, it's, it's diversity, inclusion, it's, it's all so important now. And we're seeing that more and more these days. So I think that's a big one for sure. And like I said, it's gotten better, but we still got a long, long way to go. We got a lot of work to do. So absolutely. Well, Jamie, thank you again so much for your time and for coming on to help uh, chat with us about student loans and some of the things that are coming down the pipeline. Where can people find you or reach out to you if they have further questions or want to follow up with you or just see what you're up to these days? Um, they can email me. Uh, my email is Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Dyson, D-Y-S-O-N, 224 at gmail.com. And that 224 is my birthday. If you want to send me a birthday card. Nice. <laughs> good, good marketing right there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that link in the show notes so it's easy All for right. everyone to find you. Thank you again so much, man. I can't, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Scott.